give you a little bit of background on this guest, in 2016, after, after the traumatic birth of his daughter and an eventual PTSD diagnosis, Elliot Ray set up musicfootballfatherhood.com, an outlet for dads to have open conversations about the ups and downs of parenthood. Since launching the blog, Elliot has become one of the UK's most prominent speakers and writers on fatherhood, mental health, equal parenting, and gender equality. Just to give you a little idea of what he's been up to, in 2019, he won the United Nations He For She Changemaker of the Year Award for his work engaging men in gender equality. In 2021, he published his first book, the aptly titled Dad, Untold Stories of Fatherhood, Love, Mental Health and Masculinity. In 2022, he was recognized by LinkedIn as one of their top voices on issues around mental health and work-life balance. And if all that wasn't enough, in 2022, Elliot also presented a seminal BBC documentary, Becoming Dad, a dive into dad's mental health, equal parenting and redefining masculinity. So I'm so excited to be joined by Elliot today. We're going to be chatting about all kinds of things, fatherhood at work, how equal parenting can address a workplace gender imbalance and creating communities for people to talk about these really important issues. So Elliot, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm going to start with a really fun one. What makes you tick? What makes me tick? Wow, lots of things. I mean, my organisation is called Music Football Fatherhood. So I'll probably say those three things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big um, fan of music. I actually met my wife in a band. I play the bass and she's a, a singer. So I love music. It's a massive part of my life. It changes my mood. Um, first thing I do in the morning, put some music on. I love football. I'm a QPR fan, unfortunately. Okay, wow. Not doing too well at the moment. Um, but I just love football. It's my escapism. So I'm always kind of going to games and keeping up with what's going on. And obviously family, family and fatherhood and, and all that sort of stuff that comes with that. We love to travel as a family. We love to go to Ibiza. We go every year, twice this year. Uh, so yeah, family, travel, that kind of stuff. And what makes you tick in the work that you do? The work that I do. I think for me, it's about purpose. I feel so lucky to do the work I do. I'm very, very lucky, very blessed. And I know obviously I've kind of dedicated my life to it and worked towards it. But at the same time, the opportunity that I've been given to have a platform, have a voice and, you know, work with amazing people, I don't take for granted mm. at all. And for me, it's the, 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 the purpose behind it is... How can I use, you know, what I've learned through whether that's personal experience or professional experience to help other people to transform workplaces and employment, to create spaces for men to have amazing conversations and connect in a way that they haven't connected with many people before. Like that's, that's, it's an amazing thing to, to be able to do. So, I mean, this is something that I touched on in um, the intro, but over the past few years, you've had mm. this fantastic kind of transitional journey. You held really senior DEI specialist roles, including as head of DEI implementation at the Treasury. What has that journey been like for you and, and how have you changed in the way you approach work? So, do you know what? I feel like for me, I've always been the same. I don't think I've changed really. I think the world has changed around and the topic of my focus of my work has changed over the years. But when I think about myself as a child, I was always a bit like this. I was always a bit curious 
um, creative, wanting to do things differently. I've always believed in, like, you know, you have one life and it sounds proper cliche, but you have one life and I don't want any regrets. Mm. And I want to be able to maximize my time. And I've always had that. I don't know why. I think my mum and dad think I'm crazy because they're very, you know, straight down the line, kind of, you know, normal (laughs) nine to five, whatever people who play it safe. Um, But me and my sister, for some reason, are on this creative journey where we want to kind of use our life um, in this way. So for me, you know, leaving uni, starting a social enterprise, working with young people, teaching them music production, um, then going into the civil service, doing people-based roles, kind of moving up in the civil service. But at the same time, starting music football fatherhood and going down that journey, it's just an extension, I think, of what what I've been born with. I don't think there's any kind of decision that I made at any time Mm. other than I have an innate passion to do this work in whatever context it's going to be and my life events kind of took me down here so so yeah for me it's it's um it's it's purpose and and kind of just following what you what you want to do and not maybe being restricted by what we feel is the norm for how our life should go if you know what I mean yeah and I mean you've touched on music football fatherhood which is this amazing community that you've created for fathers to talk about kind of parenting and and mental health and whatever else it is Mm. um can you explain a bit more about kind of the creation of that community and yeah what you guys get up to and chat about Mm, yeah so it started seven years ago actually (laughs) on new year's day while we're watching the kardashians (laughs) seriously <laughs> it was new year's day it was about three months after our daughter was born we were sitting there watching the kardashians i was like i've got this idea i need to do something so i started blogging and started writing and that's literally at that moment i wrote the first blog for music football fatherhood can i ask what it was in the kardashians <laughs> that sparked? can you remember what part of the kardashians sparked that you needed to create like a, a parenting group <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I think it was the realization of like why am I watching this? I should be doing more in my life. Sorry to anyone listening that likes the Kardashians, you know, each their own. But for me, it was like, no, 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 I've got, I've got things I want to say and I want to do kind of thing. And, you know, I joke, but actually that period of our life was a very difficult period, actually, because we were in the, in the mix of new parenting and um, me and my wife were going through very serious mental health challenges at the time because my daughter was born with an infection called group B strep, which is a, in a very serious infection. One in 10 babies will die from the infection. About one in 14 will have a, a serious lifelong disability. So, you know, when she was born, she didn't cry. She was gray. She had to be resuscitated. She had um, doctors sucking fluid out of her airwaves with a straw. And on the other end of the room was my wife, like, you know, bleeding out heavily. So us dealing with that, spending a couple of weeks in the hospital in intensive care, not knowing, you know, whether it was going to be okay, whether my daughter was going to, come home with us and having that experience the the most difficult experience of our lives coming home for a weekend paternity leave finishes and going back into work so it was a very difficult period and you know I went from I'm a very kind of confident extroverted person but I was like having panic attacks in work meetings I was not sleeping um, being anxious crying randomly at anything and just being a shell of myself really. And that was a very difficult time. And when I look back in terms of what I was doing in terms of writing, it was, I think, me having some control over what was going on because there was so much chaos. 
in how me and my wife was feeling. She was diagnosed with postnatal anxiety. She would struggle to leave the house in those days. You know, I'd get home from work. She'd be packing the bag at 6 p.m. like trying to go for a walk with our daughter. So for me, in within that and just having a new baby anyway, which is chaotic in itself, some control was like, okay, I can, I can have this for myself. I can write this. I can control this, this mm. thing um that i can dictate i can i can write what i want when i want and i can publish things and you know it was it was a small bit of calm i guess or or control within the chaos um but at that time i wasn't necessarily writing about what i was going through i, I only really got confident in talking you no know, like this years later really but at the beginning it was just general things about you know fatherhood um how our baby was developing that kind of stuff what kind of dad i wanted to be you know <laughs> writing about prams and stuff like that like literally just like oh my god this new uh what, what was it called it's a sleeper where you put your baby in and they, and they love it i can't remember the name now but um a sleepyhead a sleepyhead it's an amazing thing that babies love they just fall asleep in so i was like writing a review about the sleepyhead how it's brilliant and stuff like that writing some music reviews i think um I think uh, Chip and Bugsy Malone were clashing. There was a you know, grime artist that were clashing at the time. So I was writing about that and whatnot. And um, yeah, it was just my little corner of the internet. And over the next 18 months, like other dads noticed it and they were like, oh, we want to kind of contribute. So that was cool. And then in 2017, the BBC came to our house and did a little kind of section for their website. And they called, called us the Mums Net for Dads. And I remember I was at my job in the department for transport, sitting down at my desk. I didn't tell anyone what I was doing, you know, outside of work and everyone's eating their lunch. As you do, you go on the BBC website and <laughs> I'll pop up with an interview about, you know, this new platform and whatnot. And everyone's like, Elliot, what is this? What are you? <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> so I had to kind of like come clean if you like. And from there, it just kind of grew and grew really. So now we're lucky enough to like support you know, thousands of dads through content, through community events. We have partnerships with um arsenal and queens park rangers and brentford we're doing an event with watford football club in a couple of weeks the day before father's day um we have a best-selling book um and just yeah just, just just stuff to support dads about open conversations and it all started from trauma um my wife says your message your mess is your message and i think that's definitely applied for, for my life but i think alongside that you know i was working in the civil service um my last job, as you said, was in the Treasury. I worked in DEFRA and Department of Transport. So kind of had an understanding around supporting dads mm. and gender equality and parenting in the workplace from a professional perspective. But then when I experienced what I was going through, it was like, okay, cool. There's definitely a gap here for not only supporting dads outside of work, but actually in work as well. Like what needs to be done to support new fathers? Because there wasn't really much in 2015, 16. Um, so Music Football Fatherhood was kind of set up as a peer support, peer support community group, but also trying to influence and campaign and lobby for better employment practices and government legislation as well. And I mean, you're on the ground having conversations with dads about all kinds of things. To give us a little bit of kind of an insight, what are things that dads really care about? At work specifically, I at should work. say. <laughs> <laughs> I think balance, you know, right. balance is, is number one, I think. Um, and, you know, fatherhood is, is, is broad. You have you know, new dads who will be going through certain experiences. And obviously, every experience is unique, but the general experience of being tired and adjusting to 
a, a new life and probably struggling with work-life balance and expectations and maybe not feeling you're doing enough at home or at work and that pressure can be can be a lot but I think it's important to recognize that as your you know children get older yeah it kind of gets it changes the challenges change you know I wouldn't say it gets easier I think at school a lot of children are bullied um, if your child has is neurodivergent a lot of times that's the time when it will be diagnosed and come out um, school hours are short <laughs> School mm. finishes at three fifteen. I don't know why. <laughs> so, the balance kind of changes, you know, and there's challenges all throughout. So, I think for most of the fathers that we speak to, I think balance is the number one thing that is important. And you know, COVID was an important time for us because we experienced something very different. A lot of fathers had the opportunity to be at home. A lot of new dads saw their babies grow up, and they would have never had that opportunity if they were, you know, in the office. And we experience life as families in a different way. And it's interesting to see what's happened since then. You know, some organizations are sticking to those promises. They are allowing hybrid and flexible working. They really stick into their principles in that. Others are doing the complete opposite and they're mandating their staff back in the office, you know, four or five days a week, which is not great for, for people who have responsibilities outside of work. And I think it is a responsibility to understand that you know, we are whole people. We have lives outside of work. And to be your best self in work, you need to have things sorted at home. You know, it's very difficult to bring your best self to work when there are unresolved issues at home that you haven't got the time to actually attend to. You're not going to bring your best self to work. Mm. And I think the best organizations understand that, that for everyone, you know, parents in this instance, we need to be understanding of that. And we need to create policies and processes that support that. So um, the world has changed, you know, and I think organizations that understand that, embrace that, will be the ones that kind of win in the future. I think it's really interesting to look at, especially younger younger men who are maybe thinking about having families in the future. There is a lot of research that shows that those people, especially ones who are working professional services and have options about where they can work, they are making decisions based on is that organization family friendly? Do they have good paternity leave policies? Do they have good flexible working policies? Just as much as monetary remuneration. You know, it's very important to them. How are they going to be able to work? Not just how much you're going to pay me. And there's a war for talent. I work with a lot of insurance um, companies, professional services, accountancy firms. They are losing talent to other organizations who are paying less, but have offer and offer more flexibility. Mm. So, you know, Times have moved on. We have to we have to move the times. Yeah, and I mean, you you talked about parental leave. I have some uh, slightly worrying statistics to mm -hmm. the UK. Sorry, everyone listening. Um, but in 2022, Confused.com did some research on the average amount of fully paid parental leave in different countries. In the UK, it was 11.6 weeks for mums and 0.4 weeks for dads. The country with the most parental leave overall was Romania, which offers 92.4 weeks for mothers and 4.7 for fathers. But it's Japan that is the highest ranking country for, for paternity leave, offering a full rate equivalent of 31.4 weeks for fathers. You know a lot about this. Mm -hmm. Can you break down for us some of the problems with parental leave currently in the UK? Yeah. I mean, where do we start? <laughs> it's shocking. It's It's... It's disappointing, you know, in a country 
that is supposed to be a progressive um, and financially rich country. It's shocking that we have such poor paternity leave policies. It's shocking that we have the third most expensive childcare system in the UK. Um, and it's shocking that the government haven't been prioritizing this for many years. So I think for, for, for paternity leave, you know, the statutory is two weeks in the UK and that is paid at about 172 pounds, which for most families, they just can't afford. You know, there's so many families that don't take the statutory paternity leave because they can't afford for the, the, the man in a relationship to only bring home 170 pounds for those two weeks. They just can't afford that, especially in the cost of living crisis where everything is so expensive. So not only are we seeing, you know, families not and dads not taking enhanced paternity leave where it is available, and we'll get into that, but where we have statutory leave, where you would think those two weeks of a new baby's life would be, you know, all important and you need to be there, which of course they are, we are seeing families in a position where they can't afford to take the financial hit. So I think it is, it's a travesty, really. And it is something that, you know, we work with Pregnant and Screwed, um, been in the community, working families of Harvard Institute to lobby the government to say, look, we need to introduce um, some, some, some more leave on this. We need to introduce at least, at least six weeks fully paid paternity leave. I think the benefits of that are so wide in regards to gender equity, in regards to you know, well-being and the mental health of families um, and in regards to the development of babies and young people as well. I think it is important to notice that as well, like, you know, that, that Japan statistic is, is really good. They have a, a really good offer of, of paternity leave, but their take-up is actually quite low. Mm. And I think there's nuance in these, in, these, in these statistics in that the policy is one thing, but if you don't have a culture that supports this, then you're not going to get the take up. Um, and I think when we look at Japan as, a, as an example, <clears throat> there is a, a strong idea of manhood. Uh, there's a patriarchy that exists in every country. And there is a strong identity around family and who does what. And that's not, that's not exclusive to Japan. That is, you know, pretty much around the world. And so if we don't do the work in society and in workplaces to change that, regardless of the policy, we're still going to see a poor take-up. You know, in Japan, the reasons for a poor take-up is not financial, clearly. It's more around those, those cultural reasons. It's time for a shameless plug. If you're enjoying this podcast, then you'll want to receive our People Experience newsletter. It's a fortnightly download of the creme de la creme of progressive people and talent, content, jobs, and events from here at Handle and beyond. You can find the sign-up link in the podcast description. You just touched on this a little bit, but a more kind of balanced approach to parental leave is something that's going to further gender equality. I mean, it, last year, the number of women who were forced to leave the workforce to look after children increased for the first time in a decade, which I think is a pretty worrying statistic for anyone. Um, and you, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but enhanced parental leave and kind of a, a low uptake on, on those kinds of things from dads. Why culturally do you think that that's still such a kind of tricky um, topic? Yeah, so this is my back. <laughs> Gonna get excited go. now. <laughs> so enhanced paternity leave, I think, you know, if, if we could do one thing in the UK 
and talking to businesses right now and government as well. If we could do one thing that I think would revolutionize family life, I think it would change the dynamics of gender roles. I think it would fundamentally change expectations around parenting. It would be offering enhanced paternity leave. Um, so I'm the co-founder of the Working Dads Employer Awards alongside the University of York and Birmingham. And the next awards is in two weeks in Parliament. It's supported by you know, some MPs and, and some other big campaigners. And we celebrate the employers that have introduced equal parental leave. So gender neutral paternity leave policies where, you know, as a dad, you'll get three to six months off paid the same as, as a mother would. Amazing policy. Absolutely amazing. And I think there are about 65 organizations in the UK that offer that now which is a massive uptake in comparison to, you know, before the pandemic where this was quite, quite rare. In terms of take up with the organizations that do the work to change the perception of fatherhood and normalize dads parenting loudly and being active parents, the take up is very, very good. I mean, the organizations that don't do the work, take up is still okay from the men who, you know, really believe this is the right thing to do. But there are still barriers in regards to that's not the masculine thing to do. That's not my role as a man. My dad didn't do that. My granddad didn't do that. No one in my friendship has done that. If I come to work and I can't see senior role models or I can't see um, a real push to encourage fathers to take the leave, dads won't take the leave. And I think it's going back to that example around Japan as well. We need to introduce the policy, but we also need to understand that we are also fighting against years of a patriarchal system which says to men and women this is your roles within the family mm. and to step outside of that <clears throat> for some people does mean a fundamental shift in what they've known growing up for some that will be okay and they can dive into that based on their personality or their makeup or whatever it is a support network for others that's going to be a bit more of a difficult transition to make so i think it's really important to first of all you know review your policies Equal parental leave is amazing in regards to it gives that dad the opportunity to bond with their baby. You know, in the first 1,001 days of a child's life from conception to two years old, they are learning so much from their secure adult caregivers. They need, babies need secure attachment from an adult caregiver. That caregiver could be anyone, but they need that in terms of their development to being a healthy toddler and, and child. A dad can play that role fundamentally it gives the dad the opportunity to create that bond to provide that secure attachment. And we've seen that when that bond and that attachment exists, the dad is going to be more active involved in that child's life throughout their whole life. They're going to be more likely to work flexibly when they go back to work. And that bond is going to result in better outcomes educationally and resilience wise and well-being for that child as well. You know, there's new research that shows good positive paternal involvement means better outcomes for children in regards to resilience and well-being and behavioral issues as well. It's amazing for gender equity. You know, one of the best things we can do to support mothers and women in the workplace is to help dads to play an active, equal parenting role. The motherhood penalty is real, you know, and the gender pay gap for women over 40 is three times as high as it is than women under 40. The motherhood penalty means that for a lot of mothers, they will face discrimination in regards to pay, perception and promotion. The data is there. It's non, it's, you know, we can't deny that. Supporting dads to take on that role is one of the best things we can do for the gender pay gap. Um, but it's also good for business. You know, we're seeing, as I mentioned, emerging research that especially younger people 
are looking at organizations and are staying in, in organizations that are offering them flexibility, paternity leave, all the, the, the package that actually helps them to be active at home as, as parents, as carers, as you know, whatever it is. So it's good for business, it's good for gender equity, it's good for families, um, it's good for children, and it's good for men and women as well. So there are so many reasons why we need to introduce this policy, but at the same time, we need to be doing the cultural work as well alongside it to ensure that we're creating the environment where that expectant dad understands that his organization supports him taking the full enhanced paternity leave, understanding that that job's gonna be there when they come back, understanding they're gonna be supported while they're off, that the paperwork is going to be done for them, it's not gonna be a difficult process, that they're not gonna be the victim of like, you know, as we say, harmless banter with people taking the mick of like, oh, you've been on holiday, that kind of thing. And knowing that he can come back into the workplace and be respected, um, celebrated potentially, but also he doesn't feel like less of a, a man for taking that time off. And we need to really do that work to make sure people feel like that. And he doesn't feel, I think the unspoken thing that a lot of people feel, which is that regardless of what policy is, culturally, there's mm -hmm. loads of other people that are just um, slogging away and I'm going to potentially not get promoted or not be considered yep. to be as dedicated to my job if I take more leave or if I take even just the leave that's offered to me, which is mm. crazy, right? But you mentioned it earlier about kind of the the visibility, especially from those kind of higher up in the business, because mm. we saw it around like flexible working and, and genuinely, you know, taking up these things. Mm. If people higher up in the business were made it really visible that that's what they were doing, mm. people kind of at different levels would would take it up. What do you think businesses should be doing to kind of make sure that culturally it's ingrained rather than just kind of in in policy yeah i think you touched on the main thing you know role models that's number one like the behavioral insights team they're like a government arms and body a couple of years ago did some research with santander the bank and santander had introduced a, a good enhanced paternity leave policy they did some a b testing and found that for the dads who had a conversation with a senior leader, a one-to-one -one conversation when they were an expectant father. And that senior leader kind of, you know, spoke to them about how they support the policy and how they'll be really good for their, their career if they, if they go away, their job will be here, don't worry, we'll support you in doing this. There was a massive uptake in, in relation to how much of that leave dads took. Dads took more months off when they knew their senior leaders were supporting them going on that, on that, on that break. And that is the thing, you know, the number one reason why dads don't take a period of enhanced paid paternity leave is the fear that it will affect their career progression. And you know, these are issues that mothers have faced for years. The motherhood penalty is there. Fathers are, are scared of the fatherhood penalty. But I think in dads taking the leave and senior leaders supporting them, we kind of take away that fatherhood and that motherhood penalty because we equalize parenting. And I think it's, it's fundamental that senior leaders understand that and they play their part in that. So practically, what does that look like? That looks like a senior leader, um, preferably, preferably a man, standing up in town halls, in uh, whole team away days, and talking about his fatherhood experience, if he's a dad, talking about the policy, talking about his support for it, that is fundamental, writing blogs about it, but also making time in, in a diary for short coffees, one-to-one -one chats with expectant dads. You know, they won't be that many in the organization depending how how big your organization is 
like you can make time as a senior leadership team to identify those people and just book in a 20 minute coffee with them and have a chat like that is that will go so far in helping that dad to make the, the right decision you know I, I was at um at an event in november and this stuck with me since then so it was a it was a meeting of gender network chairs and it was in a city in a law firm and uh, it was just before Christmas. I took my daughter with me. I didn't have any childcare, so she came with me. And it was an event where there were about five of us speaking about our work. And there was maybe 50 people in the audience who were the chairs of the networks. And so I said my bit just for five minutes. And afterwards, we were chilling, drinking some wine and relaxing. And um, this lady came up to me. She was seven months pregnant. She wasn't drinking wine. She was seven months pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. Yeah. <laughs> Worth noticing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and she came up to me and she, she had tears in her eyes and she was crying. And she went on to explain that her, her husband um, works in wealth management. She works in accountancy and his organization offers two weeks paid paternity leave, but he's only taken one week. And she was upset. With that, with that decision obviously and he said he's taken the the two weeks obviously it was fully paid it's not a financial decision he's only taken one week because that is what people there do and she wasn't crying because two weeks or one weeks makes a massive difference she was upset because she understood the implications and the expectation now of how parenting is going to be shared Ultimately, you know, I work. I'm now have the breadwinner. I have to go and do more work, and you're the the main carer for for our child. And as someone who kind of understood his issues, I think she knew what that could mean long term. And I felt really sorry for her, and it was a really difficult conversation. But I also felt for him as well because I'm not sure if he would understand the implications of that decision, of what that means for potentially the relationship um so many couples argue and actually break up after a new baby because there's resentment around caring and you're both tired and you feel like you're you both feel like you're doing more than the other person um and that decision could just amplify those issues it could set a precedent for his workplace now in regards to how he works you know him asking for any flexibility now is probably difficult the expectation there that he's going to you know work and work harder if anything and also what that could mean for the amount of time he has to bond with his baby and what that means for his own well-being and his own mental health. You know, one of the big kind of drivers of male postnatal depression is a lack of bond with your new baby. A lack of, you know, I don't know how to soothe them, how to bathe them. They cry when they're with me. Um, but at the same time, I've got to be up all night and I'm not sleeping and my, my partner's got new priorities and stuff like that. That's one of the key drivers of male postnatal depression. If you're not given the time to delve into parenting and like get your hands dirty, literally, <laughs> then um, that is more likely to happen. So I, I felt sorry for both of them because, like, you know, as an expectant dad and as expectant parents, like, no one talks to you about this sort of stuff. So how are you going to know? Mm. You know? And he may be thinking he's doing the right thing. And a lot of dads do actually get promoted shortly after having a new baby because of that pressure of having to provide, which I understand. But he maybe feel like he's doing the right thing, but actually that could backfire in a big way in the future. And I speak to so many dads who are like, you know, in their 50s, 60s, very successful at work. But the one thing they say is, you know, I wish I had more balance when my child, my child was younger. My daughter's seven now. 
Yeah, she still wants daddy hugs. Like, cool. But at the gates, I can see, like, she's running into the classroom now. I can't really kiss her, like, before we go into, in, into school. She's growing up. And it's such a cliche thing to say, but your kids grow up really quickly. Like, they are adults for longer than they are children. They are young children for a very short period of time, really. Like, they are impressionable in that way for a very short period of time. By the time they're kind of 12, 13, going to school, they've got a smartphone. They're influenced largely by their friends. You have them like that for a few years. Um, you know, I'm 40 now, I turned 40 in, in May. And I talk to my parents and be like, wow, like I've been an adult, like I've been a big man <laughs> as your child for way longer than I've been a, a child. You know, yeah. for 30 years of my life, I've been active and whatnot. My first 10 years was the first 10 years. But the investment that my parents put in for those first 10 years means largely that we have a great relationship now. So I think it's about helping parents to make those decisions early on but you know there's no there's no training course for this there's no training course um but watch this podcast maybe <laughs> yeah this is your training course <laughs> you kind of you you mentioned earlier about you know post the, the birth of your daughter and the kind of trauma that came out of that you felt alone for a lot of the time and 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 work was kind of a difficult space in that regard do you think companies need to be working on creating communities mm. so that so that parents and and kind of dads in in terms of this particular mm. conversation can get together and kind of have those forums to to safely discuss these stigmas and also just like the challenges that they're that they're really facing be it a crying 2-year-old mm. or a boss that that maybe isn't kind of signaling that you can take time away. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I think um you know, second to the role models, not even second, I think equal to the role models is safe spaces at work. I think one thing that's happened from the pandemic in the workplace is that we've become more vulnerable. You know, I think, you know, post the, the murder of George Floyd, we've had conversations in the work that we would never have imagined having and showed a vulnerability with each other, which is you know, like really good to see. And what I've seen across the UK is more and more like dads and men's groups opening up like walking groups talking groups which we, i couldn't imagine of seeing like 10 years ago you know i think we are getting to the point where so many more men are becoming open to the conversations the difficult conversations and actually welcoming those conversations as well i think in my life some of the best moments i've had have been free music football fatherhood in a football stadium overlooking the pitch with 40 men talking about loss or you know and it sounds crazy because it's not a good thing they're talking about but the energy and the connection is something that you just can't manufacture you know it's like you feel so alive when you have 40 men talking about some of the most darkest points in their life but the support that is around and the them. catharsis right it's amazing like it's like spine tingling moments you know and you can create that in the workplace you can definitely create that in the workplace and that goes so far in normalizing like you know flexibility and paternity leave and stuff like that it's an opportunity to amplify like the role models in the organization in a safe space where you can encourage people to think differently. It's a space where you can support people. You know, you, you can have themed monthly sessions around different topics. 
lots of organizations actually use our dad book as a prompt so our dad book is 20 stories from different men around themes like co-parenting being a gay dad being a black dad um, being a new dad in the pandemic stillbirth miscarriage widowhood uh, raising a child with autism uh, being a stepdad you know all, all those different experiences you can use that or other resources to prompt conversation and say you know this month we're going to talk about this particular thing postnatal depression let's read this story let's share our thoughts on on what that dad went through and you know inevitably that comes back to people's own experiences but i think that the power of that just human connection right we're such in a in a world where we've been debating about hybrid working and whatnot and don't get me wrong i'm not against coming in the office i think it's good to obviously meet people and these things can be done online or in person but we are moving to a place you know with the introduction of ai and social media where we are kind of disconnected and actually connecting with people and asking questions and sharing opinions and thoughts and perspectives and experiences in a non-judgmental environment can be so powerful for changing a perception or changing ideas about manhood for men themselves so you know if you're a dad and you're not sure about actually should i should i kind of leave early on a friday to do the school pickup and should i tell everyone that's what i'm doing if you go to one of the, those dad's groups informal groups and you hear someone else talking about the fact that they do it and actually it works really well for them and they get to pick up their kid and their manager's cool with it and whatnot that can help you think oh actually yeah you know bob's doing it like i can do that too or it could be you you're you're going through a divorce you know and you're co-parenting and you're finding it really difficult and you just speak to someone else who's had the same experience and you can learn something from them and i think sometimes we look for like the big shiny things when actually the stuff that's free i wouldn't say it's easy because there's an art to, to to it but it's free we miss those things and they can be sometimes the most impactful things and it's like we were talking about you know in in japan or even in, in uk where we have some good policies we don't have to take up sometimes because mm. we're not doing that work and that work is free but it's not easy because it takes certain people to be able to be comfortable to hold that space for others it takes certain people to be vulnerable first um and it takes uh people who are secure in themselves to be able to lead that group so as an organization i think it's about finding those people you know finding those men who are willing to lead that group supporting them giving them all the resource training etc that they need helping them with resources and time making it part of their objectives in their job making sure that is recognized in their end of year performance review you know it has to be part of what the organization believes and does it can't be just someone going rogue that's not great for sustainability so make sure it's part of the process of how you manage all your other staff networks you know most organizations you would hope will have a race network a gender network etc have a parenting network and have a subset underneath that which looks at fatherhood and make sure safe space conversations are one of the key things that they do you know i also think those spaces are good for reporting back to the organization so um i think i can say this because it's in the public but i was at jp morgan a couple of weeks ago and you may have seen some of the emails from senior leaders that went round to the team about 
um, the fact that MDs need to be in the office I did see five this. days a week. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and everyone else for three days a week. And a lot of staff have, you know, been working completely flexibly, completely flexibly for the last few years and have designed their life in that way and they're doing pretty well at work and whatnot. So this news is a shock. So we did a session down in Bournemouth a few weeks ago and before the session we did a pre-event survey to get the views of dads in terms of what they need from the organisation hundreds of responses and those responses can be used to take to the senior leadership to say look this is what dads need so when you create those spaces um, where people can be honest there's so many like benefits in mm. regards to support encouragement um, and reporting those voices back to HR as well and at the end of the day if talent is one of your biggest assets and you want like you were saying earlier about what young um men who are looking to maybe be fathers are are doing in terms of the choices they're making um this is one of the big new like frontiers for companies now are you on the front foot about this or are you burying your head in the sand um so this is a, a people and talent podcast and um, I just want you to imagine for a moment that you are a HR person at a company who currently might be listening to this and feels that equal parenting isn't really something they've kind of done a huge amount to address yet, but they want to. What would be your kind of first step? Yeah, so first of all, I want to just echo what you were saying there in regards to like for employer brand this is a great thing to do Uh (laughs) you know like some organizations i think their motivation will be different some will generally care about the issues some will just say this is something that we can do to create a commercial advantage with our competitors cool that's all good as long as you do the culture change work and the policy work that's fine with me um but if i was an hr person where would i start i would probably start with just looking at the benefits first and foremost um and learning more about some of the organizations that have done this well and what the outcomes have been for them. So organizations like Aviva, John Lewis, Vodafone, um, are a selection of kind of UK organizations that I think have gone first in this and have seen great outcomes in regards to like retention and recruitment and gender equity and stuff like that. And then I would have a look at the Business in the Community website. Um, They are a kind of diversity and inclusion think tank. They do loads of different characteristics, but they're big on parenting and and gender equity and fatherhood, they have created a short document which helps put a business case together in regards to if you want to introduce an equal parental leave policy, what that could look like, how much it could cost you, what you should see back in regards to gains in other ways. So definitely have a look at that. And then I would probably just talk to people, talk to your staff and find out what they want. You know, hold some listening sessions some safe spaces maybe get in a guest speaker to come and kind of break down the issues for you but talk to your people you know sometimes we don't do that (laughs) we don't Mm -hmm. talk we don't talk to our colleagues and you know ask them like what do you think about this like what what would you benefit from talk to the parents in your organization what do you think you need to help you at home sounds simple right (laughs) yeah pretty simple yeah talk to people and yeah, I feel like I could talk about this for hours, but yeah. we do have a time limit. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's been such a pleasure. Mm. It's been amazing. Thank you. Really, really enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. 